Welcome to episode 14 of Sticky Beak. Today I spoke with At Your Table founder Oliver Mystery. At Your Table allows you to enjoy gourmet food experiences in your own home, provided by elite chefs with various backgrounds and culinary specialties. Oliver talked us through the journey of starting his own business and also delved into the challenges of managing multiple businesses. If you've got an interest or a passion that you'd like to form a business around, you'll enjoy listening to this episode. Welcome to Sticky Beak, Oliver. Hey, Dan, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, we're just chatting about the arcade machine you've got in the background there. What, what's the game that it's got? Or is it one of those ones with many games? <laughs> well, I'm a child of the 80s and, and 90s, so it's Street Fighter 2, the classic, the classic arcade beat-em-up. Yeah, I love it. Who's your favourite uh, character on there? Probably Blanket, because I'm not very good, so that's the one you just hit, hit the button over and over again, it electrocutes <laughs> everyone. <laughs> yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Is he the green one? Yeah, that's the green one. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Love it. Yeah. Um, well remembered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hard to forget that. <laughs> Street Fighter. I remember having Street Fighter pajamas when I was a kid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mega fan. Right. You have to come right. for a game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump in. So where did you grow up, Oliver? Um, simply tell from my accent, um, the UK originally, um, and then moved out to Australia in around 2001. Just fancy that. I never really had any time off or travel after uni and stuff. So I came, I came and got a job over here in, in back in advertising back in, the, back in the day, and then never left, as with a load of, a load of bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Much, uh, <laughs> Much better place to live and work. So yeah, I'm yeah. I, now I'm a citizen and two Aussie kids, and yeah. uh, never look back. <laughs> yeah, the the last episode we did was a, a Brit as well. There's plenty of you guys here, but it, I know it goes both ways. There's plenty of Aussies over in the UK as well. There's plenty of exchange. Definitely. On there. Um, I think we got the better end of the deal though. <laughs> well, Especially at least right from now. a weather perspective, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you grew up over there uh, and you did your studies in the UK as well? Yeah, so I stu studied over there. I think I did one, one year in London after uni and then decided to, yeah, decided to come, come and work over here. There's a pretty, pretty good flow between in the advertising industry. Um, I think the same thing still goes on now with, um, with you know, people going over there and Pom's being welcomed over here. I think half the industry was Pom here and Aussie over there. It was a yeah. good exchange flow. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, there's probably some bigger campaigns and that kind of thing to work on over there, I'd imagine. So good experience for the Aussies and probably the yeah. lifestyle changes appealing to the, the Brits, maybe. Absolutely. Um, so you did the education over there. Um, did you have any jobs while you were growing up or studying? Yeah, I've always, I've always kind of tried to work and um yeah as soon as I could like from 16 I think my first job was with McDonald's and then various bars and various kind of holiday jobs worked in call centers and all kinds of sort of fairly boring kind of experiences before you know before sort of going through uni and and then venturing out into into sort of my early career so yeah I've always 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 worked for myself um oh well you know work worked yeah. you know trying to earn some cash and yeah absolutely yeah cool what was your favorite job out of those ones? <laughs> Probably the bar. <laughs> yeah. 
combining combining business and pleasure is always good. And back in the back in the day, there was uh, less uh, restrictions around uh, kind of responsible service of alcohol and that kind of thing. <laughs> it was always it was always a fairly social experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the, those bar jobs were always coveted, especially during the uni days. It was probably the best job you could have. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any uh, sports or hobbies that you had in particular as you were growing up? Uh, I wasn't a huge sporty kid. Um, I was always into music, always played, played guitar and you know, various bands and that kind of thing and, um, and into sort of painting and, and art and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Sport wise, more of the snowboarding, skateboarding than the than the footy. Anything with a ball, I've never been that good at. But give me a board, and I'm okay generally. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, so, what was your first serious job after you finished studying? Um, after studying, I I did a masters because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I kind of studied management, and then did a masters in in marketing. And part of that I was exposed to, you know digital and the emergence of the internet this is kind of the, the late 90s um so i wanted to kind of combine both of those things and, and got into um an advertising agency um back in the day on the sort of i think it was email email marketing was really big then and that was my sort of intro into web and uh, combining that with sort of direct marketing um that's my first kind of gig uh, a company called ehs brand in in london working in soho Really, really fun. Great bunch of people. Worked on some good clients. Tesco was my intro client, which is a what the, the largest retailer over there. Yes. And happened to have a really interesting uh, club card. It was called, which is a, a huge sort of groundbreaking CRM, um, I suppose, well, program. Um, it was the first kind of supermarket globally, I think, to really have points and track spending behaviour, and then apply those kind of smarts into communications, both on the DM side and direct mail um, lists and promoting products and then eventually into email. And it was kind of interesting kind of because that sort of data-driven DM was the precursor to some of the uh, the more the later sort of data-driven email and online communications that sort of evolved out of that. So I think it was a good a good starting ground for my career in, in sort of web later on. Yeah, absolutely. So... Let's chat about, uh, well, you've got a couple of businesses on the go, yeah? So um, we've got Compare TV and we've also got At Your Table. So where, well, do you want to give us a, a quick rundown on what those ones are and then we can talk about how you arrived at those? Yeah, sure. So um, so At Your Table is, uh, is a business that lets you create private dining experiences in your home. Um, so, for example, we've got chefs from uh, a lot of the top restaurants, either who are actively working there or have worked in, uh, there in the past. Um, and you, uh, they come into your home, cook uh, for your guests, uh, could be a dinner party or a birthday function or whatever it might be. Um, and you literally be uh, the perfect host without having to lift a finger and get weighted on hand and foot. Um, they clean up afterwards and, and leave and, and you, get to, yeah, you get to be the host and enjoy the occasion. Um, we've also, part of that service is, is, you know, we've got sommeliers and things, we can do private wine tastings uh, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's at your table. And then the other 50% of my time I spend on Compare TV. Uh, Compare TV is a, a guide to digital entertainment services, predominantly uh, streaming and TV related services. So uh, we give the reviews, uh, guides to content that you find out what you want to watch, where you want to watch it. Um, 
and uh, reviews of services and companion um, services such as broadband and mobile devices and bundles. Yeah, cool, cool. Which one was the first one that you started? Uh, the first one was At Your Table, at which your table. was back in 2008 and then started Compare TV in I think it was 2016. Gotcha, gotcha. So Compare Your Table is 12 years old now. At Your Table, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and both of them started on the back of redundancies, actually. Kind <laughs> of a, another side story. Um, yeah, but yeah, t- yeah, 2008 was At Your Table, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, let's dive into that a bit. So when did the idea for At Your Table come about or how did it come about? Um, my wife had been working in events for many years and after the, well, in the middle of the GFC, obviously events went out of the window um, and we sat up one night, you know, she'd just been made redundant, unfortunately, at the time. And we sat up one night and was like, look, you know, you, you sort of weren't into what you were doing anyway we've got a bit of an opportunity of a clean slate. I had, I had a decent job at the time. Um, and I was like, well, you know, what do you, what do you really love doing? And she loved cooking. She loved cooking for dinner parties for, for friends and often found that, you know, the, the people she was asked to cook for were mates who just didn't like cooking, want to cook and would get Ellie to come in and cook. And we we're like, well, can we turn this in, into a business? There's probably a, a bit of a theme there with people who love having people for dinner, but hate cooking or can't cook or don't want to cook. Um, so it started with her. I mean, we, we basically sat up, drank about four bottles of wine probably. And uh, the next day we're like, oh my God, what were we talking about? And we, we came downstairs and we'd written a whole business plan down on the, the <laughs> dining room table um, and fleshed out something that we, we read and went, actually, this is kind of a bit of a goer. Um, I created the site, I think, off the back of it the next day. And she was the first and only chef. And we sort of off we went <laughs> a bit by the uh, by the wing of our seat. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Very cool. Uh, <laughs> reminds me of the drunk history TV show. Like you go through this thing and then you end up with a business plan that you come back to and you can't remember creating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So you came up with the idea and then how long, I mean, it sounds like she was ready to go on the business because she'd been made redundant. So was there much gap between the idea conception and the uh, business starting? No, not, not really. Um, I had sort of enough background in web and digital to, to knock up a, a quick site. Um, some, I knew people who could design logos and branding and, and that kind of thing. And then she was the first chef. So I think it was up and running. We were getting our first bookings through the door that month um, after, after launch. Um, and with sort of minimal overheads because we you know, did a lot of it myself um, at the time. And so yeah, it sort of kicked off, kicked off from there. Pretty quickly, yeah. Did you have to put uh, much investment into it or was it something that you could basically start with very little? Yeah, because I had sort of the base level of skills to, to do the first sort of round of, of, of tasks needed myself. But yeah, we bootstrapped the company from day one. So we were profitable from day one. You yep. never needed out, uh, external investment into the business. Which has been which has been really lucky, um, we've, and we've scaled organically. So, Ellie, I don't think has done a booking since about 2019. Sorry, 2009. Um, and yeah, hiring top class chefs has really obviously made the business what it is today. Enabled us to scale, uh, enabled us to launch in in a couple of different countries as well over that the course of that period as well. Um, yeah. Without yeah, without need for external investment, which has been good. Very cool. Um, 
So can you explain a little bit on the, the monetization model? Is it just straight paying for the service or is there other elements to it or? Yeah, so basically the, the, the pricing model is a scalable model depending on the number of people um, in terms of the size of the party. Uh, the cost head goes down the more people um, and, the, uh, and the, the number of courses and types of food and add-on services like uh, service staff uh, sommeliers and that kind of thing so really it's really bespoke we don't have a fixed set cost it depends on what the customer wants um and we've got a, a sort of fairly you know complex rate card of, of how that is pieced together to keep it really bespoke um so we're not a marketplace hands-off model we we're a very hands-on service where you know customer services is absolutely uh, you know top top of the list so we, we manage that whole booking through through from uh, from start to finish, rather than sort of a, a marketplace type model where people come in and self serve and there's a platform fee and that kind of thing. Um, it's been interesting during the journey. We've always been the the service upfront model, and we've seen marketplace models come in and come and go. Um, couple out of the states um, over the course kitchen surfing and Kitchit, which were funded to the tune of 20 million and were pure marketplace and came and went. We were, we were scared by them, you know. During that time, we thought that was going to be you know, the Uber for chefs was going to come in and, and dominate the industry. And um, we'd actually tried to create our own marketplace to sort of stand up to that and, and test the model. Um, and we failed and we were sort of pretty disappointed at the time. But, mm. you know, about six to 12 months later, we saw those $20 million funded marketplaces also fail. Um, and there's some really in interesting learnings we kind of got through that process and really down to, you know, the, the need for customers to be able to talk to someone and have someone help manage, you know, what is generally a fairly unusual thing to have in, in, in their house. It's not the sort of business as usual. Yeah, that, that's a pretty un interesting topic in itself because there's a, a lot of things are moving online, obviously, these days or into marketplaces or into apps and but I think there'll always be a certain set of services that are more suited to that bespoke sort of direct customer service model. Um, sounds like what your, your industry is one of those, but yeah, it would have been an interesting time with those big players coming in with all that money behind them. Yeah, for sure. I think there's kind of a, it's kind of a thing where because technology is so prominent, it can do so much. People think it should do everything. And I think in so, certain situations, a tech solution isn't the right solution. So although we're a fully online business and we apply, um, you know, apply as much tech as we uh, feel we need to, to, to improve the surface, uh, the, the service and also acquire and retain customers, there's a certain point in time where the customer really wants to talk to someone. You know, there's a lot of back and forth and, and often, you know, a chef isn't the best person to talk to. Yeah. They need to be doing what they do best in the kitchen. Uh, and you sort of need that customer service element who isn't the chef, who is always available, who doesn't get frustrated, who's yeah. really good online and in, in terms of communication. And that isn't um, often, the, you know, the chef. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of emotional attachment to what you're providing as well. Like if, if someone's having their friends over or their best friends or they're trying to impress someone, then you want to make sure or feel like that everything's really on point. And I guess you can't really get that feeling from a, a service that's online and you're not speaking to an actual person who's giving you that assurance and that level of customization. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's always it's generally a, a really special occasion. There's a lot of people's, you know, engagements or 40th or proposals or, or what have you. And yeah, 
that they generally haven't done it before. Um, we obviously get a lot of repeat bookings, but the first time kind of user coming through there sort of needs their hand holding a little bit. And there's a lot of back and forth, you know, you can imagine fine tuning menus and dietary requirements and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Are there any events that stand out as being particularly out there or interesting for any particular reason that you guys have put on over the years? Uh, there's been some interesting locations, be it on boats or on beaches, but generally for surprise kind of proposals and that kind of thing. Um, been a few famous people, probably can't mention their names, some famous rock stars who booked and, and uh, never ended up eating much food and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's been, and then we've got a few sort of A-listers who book with us regularly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, an interest, definitely an interesting clientele. Yeah, for sure. What's the weirdest request that you've had? Weirdest request? Um, <laughs> there, was a, there, was a, there was a Chinese businessman who wanted a top chef to fly around the world with him to create just an omelette. And he interviewed, I don't know, 50 chefs to find the best omelette. And when they, when they found the best omelette, that chef would just go and fly around the world on their private jet just in case he wanted an omelette. <laughs> well, it wasn't on an <laughs> omelette diet or anything. It just, if he wanted an omelette, it had to be a top-notch omelette, basically. That, that's right. Wow. That's, uh, well, if you've got money, you might as well use it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So when you guys started out back in 2008, what did you do to get your first clients? Um, it was just... I mean, once we created the website, it was turning on kind of the, the base level of advertising channels. So Google AdWords was kind of a go-to before we started building our own traffic and, um, and name in the marketplace. So that was an easy thing to turn on. People are already you know, searching for the service. Um, and then, yeah, we gained a lot of, we had, you know, we're one of the first services of its kind in the marketplace. Um, we gained a lot of traffic through organic search and yeah, most, most of the sort of, standard web channels were the first kind of go-to-market sources of acquisition. Yeah, gotcha. And is that the case still today or is it more word of mouth now because you've sort of reached a tipping point or do you still get a, a decent amount through the online channels? Yeah, online. I mean, definitely I'm skewed that way because my whole background has been in digital marketing and advertising. So, and being an online driven kind of you know business, that's, that's always been the case. So yeah, paid search is always a big one. Um, we've sort of gone into social, paid social. We've, we've done a bits and pieces of, of offline, but it's always been my sweet spot in terms of you know, purely online. So measurable um, and yeah, kind of scalable. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so do you guys, what size team do you have working with um, that particular business? Uh, there's, there's about 40 plus chefs. Um, my wife runs that entire team um, and she's got um, one or two people that help her with, with bookings and managing that whole process um, outside of things like the you know, finance teams and that. So it's a fairly, it's a fairly lean business in terms of the day-to-day -day management. We try and get um, tech to do a lot of the heavy lifting throughout that process and then uh, you know, leave Ellie and, and uh, her colleague to, to manage the customers and the chefs and then the chefs do their thing. Yep. Um, across across all of the different cities. Yep. You mentioned that having uh, the best chefs is a big part of the success of the business. What sort of process do you guys go through to identify that talent and also recruit it? 
Um, so recruitment, a lot of them come to us um, and then we use you know, standard kind of job advertising to, to find them. Um, the, the first port of call is just reading their bio. My wife Ellie, who who runs this, that side of the business and the the product side, um, after you know after since two thousand and eight, having kind of gone through a bunch of chefs, kind of gets a feel for for obviously the restaurants they've worked in. Generally, will recruit people who've worked in or chefs who've worked in at least sort of two hats as their kind of standard or big well known name kind of restaurants. Um, she gets just a knack for reading their menu and understanding the level of chef they are from the recipes and the and the menus that they put together, as well as things like food photos. So we'll kind of she'll go through that interview process with them. Um, and then we'll we'll do a, a test booking and, and and you know the proof's in the pudding, literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gotcha. Or the omelette, maybe. Oh the omelette, indeed. <laughs> This episode of Sticky Beak is brought to you by Digital Deluxe. If you're sick of digital agencies that overpromise and underdeliver, you need to speak to Digital Deluxe. We can't guarantee miracles, but we can guarantee great service and a logical ROI-focused approach. Visit www.digitaldeluxe.com.au forward slash stickybeak to access our special offer for Sticky Beak listeners. Have you experienced any near-death moments with that business? Um, I wouldn't say near death. So this year has been fairly challenging with um, with the restrictions and yeah. number of parties and having people in your house. So we had you know a period of time where we literally had zero, but went from you know great bookings to zero. Yeah. Um, probably the I wouldn't say death, but it, was, it stopped dead in our tracks. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, other moments were probably when we were looking at these uh, big online marketplaces in the states you know, potentially coming over and completely decimating us in the same way as an Uber has the, the taxi industry or whatever it might be. Um, uh, yeah, which we've kind of gone into. So yeah, probably probably those two um, yeah. were key. And I think probably the other was uh, when we had a first child and Ellie was still our first chef. Um, kind right. of, it wasn't really like, yeah, like what, you know, what do we do? But in the end, that's what helped us to really transform into the business we are today in terms of scaling in terms of her not being the chef anymore and us actually hiring world-class chefs to to serve as the bookings it enabled us to scale not only in australia but gave us the impetus to to try other markets as well yeah yeah it seems to be a, a common thread uh the having kids and then figuring out how to scale effectively um i guess when you're just forced into that situation where you have to systemize more or find other people to take over certain aspects of the business, it actually unlocks some elements which allow it to grow a lot faster than it could before you started addressing those things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, it depends on your attitude, but I always find challenges and, and difficult situations uh, definitely help you improve um, and yeah, force you to come up with solutions that then end up you know, benefiting the business far greater than if, you know, if that reason hadn't existed and you hadn't even addressed it as a, as a problem. Yeah, for sure. So you got to 2016. Uh, so you were eight years into at your table and then you decided to start uh, Compare TV. So what inspired that and uh, what gave you the confidence that you had the time and energy to start a second business at that point? Well, up till that point, my wife, I'd, I'd Sort of done the website and the marketing side of things, but I had, I had a full-time job 
um, and she ran the, the service side. Um, and then around 2016, I got, it was my turn to get made redundant um, and kind of took that to, that opportunity to really transform at your table and in terms of well, everything about it, in terms of the, the new site, new design, um, new photography and really focus on that. And once I'd kind of gone through that round and it was the best it could be at the time, I had some free time and I, there's no way I was going to go back and get a, another job. I sort of had a taste for the freedom. Um, and my background prior to that had been in the TV space. Um, I worked for Foxtel for a number of years and kind of saw that the marketplace was changing and evolving for TV. There was streaming services just around the corner with the likes of Netflix um, and, you know, the fragmentation of content across these services would therefore lead to a level of confusion among co uh, co consumers. So um, it seemed like there was a good opportunity to really try and solve that in terms of being a guide to the changing TV landscape in terms of what services were available, how much they cost, you know, write reviews on them, try and uh, extract what content was on all of them and, and which one would be best for you and your household. So kind of had, yeah, um, that, that kind of kicked off from there. Yeah, cool. Where do you see that particular industry heading at the moment? Because at the moment it's becoming more and more fragmented. Like you, you just got to open up like the Android TV or whatever sort of TV you have. And there's mm. so many different streaming services now. I mean, I don't even know how many I'm subscribed to at the moment and there's more popping up. It feels like every day. Do you think there's yeah. going to be a, a point where it reaches the maximum fragmentation and then starts to, uh, I guess, combine again or where do you think it's headed yeah i think so i think there's i don't think there's there's room for quite the amount we've got at the moment so i think any new technology launches like you said there's you know more entrance into the marketplace everyone jumps on the bandwagon um and then there's a level of kind of consolidation of those um you know so i think we're still in that probably the top of the expansion stage in in terms of the major players i think there'll be more sort of niche players that emerge in particular categories, um, be it, you know, extreme sports, docos, anime, there's, there's certain ones, but the sort of the mainstream of, you know, movies, TV, comedy series, dramas, all of that kind of thing. I think we're probably at the maximum now. Um, and there may be a drop off of, of one or two over the next few years. There's some fairly big players, you know, muscling in with fairly deep pockets. If you look at the likes of Amazon and, um, potentially Google further on down the line um, things. So yeah, it's definitely definitely an interesting space, and there should there probably will be a level of consolidation over the next sort of you know few years. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about the monetization model and how that works with Compare TV. So Compare TV um, basically it's a free service to consumers. They can come on. Um, there's reviews, guides, content, and it, like like any given publisher. Um, in terms of our monetization, it's a mix of kind of traditional paid advertising, um, be that kind of fixed placements, be that, you know, cost per thousand like impressions on banner ads across the site. Um, and also kind of like a, an affiliate style model as well, where we get remunerated when someone signs up for one of the services. So it's a real bit of a hybrid um, in terms of the monetization, but, but uh, across all of the sort of digital media style um, routes to monetization. Yeah, gotcha. How do you find managing your time between the two businesses? Uh, like you said, it's basically 50-50. Um, do you find it challenging sometimes to 
keep your energy levels up and have focus for both businesses? Do you have any strategies for dividing the time or is it kind of whatever needs the most attention at the time you give it to it? It's probably, it's probably a recent thing. I've always been very, I found it very difficult to work across numerous businesses. I've always been sort of, you know, focused on one only to the neglect of the other one. Um, I think it was really a result of this year that I've, I've gone back into 50-50. So I'd, after setting up at your table and starting Compare, I was 100% on Compare. And then over the course of this year, I've tried to divide my time up across both and, and managing that quite well. So it's, for me, it's been about having great business partners on both sides. So Ellie uh, on the, at your table and my business partner, Chris, on Compare TV and having the trust that they can do the other half of the, uh, of the, of the, the amount of work available. Um, and I, th I think it's like the, the whole COVID thing was a real kick in the guts for both businesses, really, at times, compared to TV in terms of um, we'd write a lot of content in and around sport and, and drive a lot of revenue from sport. And just as uh, personal chef bookings died a death for a month or two, so did, so did sport. So kind of with both things having a bit of a kick in the guts, I'm like, well, you know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You really do need to divide your time and try and get both as, as both businesses up to the standard they need to be um so really it was literally about compartmentalizing my time quite precisely you know by the hour almost to focus on both and it's kind of amazing how you can once you start to do that you can get almost an equal amount of stuff done yeah. um yeah on both so it's, yeah it's been a bit of a process i'm like i said i haven't been very good at it in the past but i've sort of learned to to do that through strict yeah time compartmentalization this year yeah, gotcha. And what are the future plans for, for both businesses? Uh, is, it, is it survival mode at the moment? Do you have some grand plans for either of them? What's, what have you got going? Yeah, so it's been, it was a bit, bit of survival mode across both this year, but now both are in back sort of in their stride again. Um, in terms of compare, probably just working on some existing, some existing and some new partnerships both with other sites um, within a network of sites um, where we can you know, bring our content, not only on our site, but uh, leverage that content on other people's sites um, and for other, other audiences. Um, and then Operate Your Table has really just been a full revamp of the business again. So I think the, the last time I'd done it was 16 and then we've revisited that again. So brand new site, brand new infrastructure. Um, making it mobile as mobile friendly as fast as possible, new branding, new photography, new CRMs, all of that kind of thing. So really just almost at the completion of that complete revamp um, now uh, and then applying that to our US market. So uh, we haven't changed all of that in the US. So now we've done that in, um, in Australia, going to apply all of those changes to, to the US market. Yeah, nice one. Um, Oliver, who would you say has had the biggest influence on your success today? It doesn't have to be one person, but uh, if it is, fine. But who who do you think has had that influence? Sound, it'll sound, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say one person. So if you're going to say one person, it's probably my parents who've always just been super supportive, and then my wife. There's no way I would have, you know, she would have been able to start her business without me and me be able to start my business after getting made redundant without her to back it up so we you know we, we work great as a team so in terms of narrowing it down to that one one or two people but then just trying to learn from you know people who've done it before other entrepreneurs writers in the space i try and read um a lot you know and, and try and learn from learn from some of the great so 
um, yeah, a, ra a range of a range of different people. Gotcha. Uh, what do you do? I mean, you've got two businesses on the go, like you mentioned, and you said you're getting better at compartmentalizing. But what do you do outside of work to keep your sanity in check? Uh, a lot of a lot of exercise. Like, uh, yeah, I need to train and keep you know sharpen the saw and, and keep keep that sort of side of me fresh. So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, training first thing in the morning. I get up pretty early. I get up like 4.30 and um, kind of training is the first thing I do every morning. Um, and then come back and have a bit of family time and then off to work. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, absolutely vital. And then, yeah, and then just having and being able to spend time with my family and, you know, not have to think about work at the end of the day, which is, you know, quite lucky, I think. Um, yeah. What sort of training do you do? I do like sort of um, high intensity interval training, sort of strength, cross city style, style stuff. Um, anything that absolutely flogs you. I guess it's like that feeling of, you know, you know, it's going to be the hardest thing you do that day. Yeah. Nothing you will do will be harder. So it yeah. sets you up well psychologically for the day. Yeah. And 4.30 is pretty early. Uh, do you, I don't get up that early myself. And I've thought about maybe pushing my, uh, wake up time a bit earlier but i don't know how to manage the night time part of it what time do you normally go to bed about nine nine right so yeah, what's that? Quite, Three, quite seven early. and a half hours that's almost <laughs> eight that's decent how yeah. do you how do you go on weekends and that sort of thing like do you if do you just sort of avoid events where you're not where you're going to have to stay up later or do you just cop it or what do you how do you manage that part of it uh, weekends are different kettle of fish, I think. Like uh, I'm a different person, you know, during the week as I'm on the weekend. But generally, when you've got kids, you're up early anyway on the yeah. weekend, do, you know, doing activities and that kind of thing. And, and in terms of the social thing, we just start earlier. We start early, end early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just shift your window. I've always been a morning person, so yeah. the morning thing just doesn't bother me. I'm flogged at the end of the day, generally anyway, and ready for, ready for a rest. So we just shift yeah. things a bit earlier. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, do you follow any specific diets or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I fast regularly. So yeah. between, you know, I do intermittent fasting. I've probably done that for maybe two, two and a half years now. Yeah. And the just best, probably the best lifestyle change I've ever done, to be honest. Yeah. Um, just find it really, really works well for my timing schedule and my energy levels. I used to always crash in the afternoon like three o'clock i was just completely dead yeah. um which is about now <laughs> and um i've got a bit of energy now so yeah it's um that that's been the biggest probably the biggest lifestyle change i've ever made um so I definitely regularly do that um around a 16 8 sort of window i'm yeah. messing around with 24 hour at the moment during the week only um yeah. i'm finding that's kind of kind of good as well yeah. Yeah. I've actually just started doing that the last few weeks, although I've been going for 22 hours. So I don't do the full 24, I just do 22, like have dinner the night before and then have dinner, yeah. dinner a similar time the night after. But I only do that one day a week and I just do like the 18, six sort of thing the rest of the, the week. But yeah, I agree. It works really well and it's great yeah, for energy sure. levels. Yeah. Really good. And skipping breakfast, like just have a black coffee instead. Like don't really miss it to be honest. No, I actually I only do it five days a week usually. So I have breakfast on weekends. Being in Melbourne and all the cafe culture, it's a bit impossible to avoid going out for breakfast and that sort of thing. But oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. During the weekend, anything goes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Got to have some fun. 
<laughs> exactly. It can't all be discipline. Um, do you do any, well, you already mentioned you do like to learn, like learn from the masters and that sort of thing. What sort of ongoing learning exercises do you like to participate in? Um, like I try and listen to a few podcasts, but because I don't have a long commute, I sort of, that's kind of difficult. I try and read a fair bit, um, watch, you know, YouTube videos on anything that takes my fancy at you know, any given time. Um, trying to get more into I'm probably I'm trying at the moment to to join a couple of um sort of uh, entrepreneurial organizations where they you know where they have those kind of active learning experiences be it from your peer groups or be it from you know external speakers coming in to talk about a particular topic I think that's probably one thing I've found since working for myself you don't get those opportunities unless you create them when I was always in agency land you'd always have someone coming in presenting or you know there'd be that general kind of learning within the organization to kind of try and keep ideas fresh and the same thing in corporate life you know you always got external speakers and things in or you got invited to functions or corporate events or whatever so yeah that's that's one thing that has been missing a little and I'm trying to sort of yeah get into some organizations that that actively bring that to you yeah or create that for you yeah, it's a good point. And I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, as you said, they can get a little bit isolated. And you, if you haven't got like a HR department or something that's focused on keeping you trained and developed, then it's, mm. it's not easy to manage yourself. And I think those groups are definitely a good idea. Like obviously there's plenty of online sources and books and podcasts and all that kind of thing, but getting that real one-on-one or face-to-face experience from people um, can make a big difference. And just learning for like having conversations with people instead of just consuming information, being able to interact can be a lot more beneficial. So have you found any organizations that have been particularly good so far or still pretty early stages? Still shopping around. Yeah. 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 Um, Talking to CEB, talking to EO, um, I've got a function with both of those in the next couple of weeks. So, um, and they both seem like really, really good organisations that that tick those boxes. So, I'm likely to join one or both. I think over the next the next week or so. Yeah, cool. What's the number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's thinking about starting or is in early stages of starting a business? One, um, probably to do, make sure that whatever whatever business it is, is leveraging your strength. So whether it's your, your network or something you inherently know what to do. So say if it's an online business, make sure you know, you know, a hell of a lot about online before you get into it. You don't want to have a massive, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve for anyone to start a business anyway. This, you know, you've got to suddenly break out of your, if you've just been in a particular department, you need to be the whole business. So that's hard enough. Um, so without then learning an entirely new either category or discipline that's the, that's the foundation of the business. So I think it's, you know, draw, draw on something that you've naturally got strength in, whether it's you know, a particular aspect of business, a particular category, or particular personal trait that you, know, you can really leverage or a hobby or a passion, um, then you're not at least starting from scratch with absolutely everything. Yep. I think that definitely, definitely helped uh, across both of our businesses. Yeah, gotcha. Do you have any favorite uh, software or tools that you use in your day to day? Um, so, I mean, stuff like Slack has just completely obliterated email. Um, yeah. I've just hooked up ActiveCampaign to ActiveTable as a CRM to manage the whole deal process. 
you know, the sales process as well as kind of triggered communications and that kind of thing, really loving functionality of that. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a stats and data nerd when it naturally you have to be in terms of digital marketing and advertising. So all of those kind of tools that sort of GA um, through to, you know, AdWords and Google analytics, all of those kind of tools are literally live within um, really got into trading view as a, as a more investment style tool and trade um, for trading and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. They're the ones I use pretty much 24 seven. Yeah. Cool. And on the uh, compare TV side, what's your favorite streaming service at the moment or which one do you think has got the, the best setup? Depends on I'm watching. If it's sport, without a doubt, KO. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just fantastic. I think it's, it's pretty much the best service of its kind in the world um, for sport. Um, and then really, really the one I use the most, Netflix. I mean, it's, it's the obvious one, but I just, you know, it, it does have the best content, I think, across the broadest range of categories at the moment yeah. uh, in terms of the things I watch. But there's, there's great stuff popping up everywhere. There's really good stuff on Binge with a HBO library, really good stuff on Amazon. It wasn't probably about six months ago, but now I've started delving into Amazon a bit more. There's some great stuff. There's a few things on Stan as well. I think the, the go-to one, though, for me is, is Netflix still. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean their own content's great. I mean, I just love the, the the you know the cinema quality films that they're now creating, stuff like Eurovision, new Borat movies coming out on there. Some of the you know there's some there's some good there's some really good content on there. Yeah. It's hard to look past. Yeah, for sure. And the, the UI or the UX makes a pretty big difference as well. I find like uh, you mentioned Prime or Amazon, and it, they're getting a lot better content. But I feel like their app's still a little bit clunky, and it, it's that can draw back and it sort of makes you want to go back to Netflix sometimes. And even Disney, like they've got obviously great content on there, but I still think their app's not quite as good as what Netflix have put together. And even though it's the content you're going on there for the experience using the app, especially when you get stuck for something to watch, that's when it really shines through and the ability to switch between things and find things easily or get suggestions. It just, yeah, Netflix smash it. Yeah, absolutely. And they've had long, you know, they've had the longest period of time really to improve it. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, like if you look at KO, there, was, there wasn't anything to kind of base their model on. And I think they've really nailed it, but for sport, yeah. you know, there was no real precedent they could just copy. Um, and considering it's the first crack they've had at it, yeah. like I've been really, really impressed. Things like their minis, things like, yeah. you know, the multi-screen stuff and, and that kind of stuff. It's been yeah. really, really good. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm really impressed with them, and the fact that they're local, just that we've got, you know, a world class service that's, you know, born and bred in Australia is really impressive. Yeah, totally agree. You you can really tell there's someone behind it who's scratching their own itch, can't you? Like the people who've created yeah. are obviously sports freaks, and they're just putting together. Well, to me, it seems like they're putting together something that would be ideal for what they want, and it turns out that's most Australian guys and girls, of course. But um, yeah, they're really hitting the nail. Yeah, definitely. They're passionate fans, and the the yeah the engineers and the product team are, are really passionate. And, it, and it's exactly like I was speaking to the product guy there, and it was just like the passion this guy had, and the you know the um the uh, the the list that they've got of things that they're wanting to roll out. It's just like constant innovation in the space. It's, yeah, really like you know interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. 
All right. Before we look to wrap up, Oliver, we have a little segment where we spin the wheel and you'll get asked a very random question based on the outcome of that wheel spin. So I'm just going to share my screen with you. Here we go. All right. So whatever we land on, there'll be a question related to it. Spinning, spinning, spinning. Last binge. All right. So the question is, what's the last thing you binged on and why would you recommend it to others? So it could be be food, drink, uh, movies, shows, whatever. Just something that you binged on recently. Well, we've got to go with TV. I mean, that was that's the obvious <laughs> one. And and what I last binged on that I can remember it was Cobra Kai on Netflix. Oh, right. Um, I haven't watched that yet. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an 80s kid, so Karate Kid, one of my favourite films of all time. Yeah. And I just laughed all the way through Cobra Kai. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. All right. Definitely scratch, scratch that nostalgia, nostalgia itch. Yeah, gotcha. I'm going to have to check that one out. It's uh, It's been on the list. All right. Awesome. Well, um, thank you very much for taking the time today, Oliver. Um, if people want to find you online or hit up either of your businesses, uh, where should they go? Uh, so at your table.com.au is, uh, is that your table? The, the chef service and compare tv.com.au is, uh, is compare TV. They want to find me. There's not many Oliver mysteries. Just look me up on LinkedIn and uh, generally pretty good at getting back to people. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again and all the best with both businesses. And yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of success in the future. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Oliver. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Sticky Beak. If you've got any feedback or suggestions for guests or topics you'd like us to cover, just send it through to info at stickybeak.com.au.